discovered it must be told. From beginning to end. Now, here's a little story I got to tell. Here is a story about music. Stories about songs. Boots Riley in the coop. Coop. In 1992, I started my promotion company, Rage Promotions, something I go deeper into in another episode. I'm sure there's a whole story and many connections to that. But anyway, I started this promotion company basically doing street promotions for record labels to find a way to break into the business, to learn about the business, to help the various artists I was working with, uh, including myself. And so I was basically just reaching out, calling, faxing, uh, any record label that had an artist who I was a fan of. I, I was reading magazines like The Source, rap pages, looking for new signings and demos and releases and using that as a guideline. And, you know, often they might, you know, have the magazines or on the records themselves. There were phone numbers and fax numbers. And so I was just using that as a guideline to reach out to all these different record labels and management companies sometimes just to see if I could, you know, offer my services in Chicago area to be a promoter as I was learning. And so I was a long time fan of Wild Pitch Records. Like it was one of my favorite labels at a certain time. I see the late 80s, early 90s. Three, two, one, yo, this is going out to those who should be listening. Believe that, believe that. And you had like early stuff on Gangstar, like to believe that single and to be a champion. That that was a dope single. And then, you know, the course their debut album, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Believe that. Believe that. The stuff that Lati was doing, of course, the Chill Rob G ride the rhythm album, and it's incredible. DJ Mark the 45 King was doing a lot of stuff on the on the label and all that whole album. Uh, you had Laura Finesse and DJ Mike Smooth, Funky Technician. Laura Finesse in effect, cause I rhyme hard. Look good, flow smooth, yeah, the whole nine yards. Uh, the UMCs, I love both their albums. The Hard Knocks record, a main source was a big one for me. Ultra Magnetic MCs. This was the third record label for an album. They did other singles beyond that, but like Wild Pitch may not have been the label that was best at promoting and they didn't end up with gold records and big hits. They were like the, I consider Wild Pitch like the A&R for the industry at the time. Like they were signing a lot of the groups who went on to bigger deals. Stu Fine, who ran Wild Pitch, our own Wild Pitch, you know, he just had an ear and he was willing to take a chance on things and he... He was eccentric enough to not always follow the obvious. And, you know, he also had a staff that loved hip-hop. So, you know, people like Mark Genova and MC Search was there. You know, I remember, like, I got, like, voicemails from MC Search. When he would call. I remember when um, we were doing the OC um, Time's Up record, he would call the, the, my voicemail and leave a message and be like, OC's going for ads on the radio with the Crash Crew chorus. Like, he was just, like, bringing that hip-hop vibe to the fullest. Rockin' on your radio 
But I think around 92, 93, they were kind of getting pigeonholed. Uh, not even probably weren't, that wasn't probably even the issue. The issue was that they probably weren't seeing the success in sales that their counterpart labels were. And so I think there was a need to branch out. And, and labels were all, you know, and most labels by that point, by 1993, most labels, independent and major, for the most part, were looking for what they can sign on the West Coast, if they were East Coast-based labels, you know, especially. Um, because the popularity of NWA, Too Short, Ice-T, uh, Snoop was right at this juncture right here. This is right around the juncture with the chronic really taking the next step in the evolution of West Coast sales dominance and just really being influential to the whole industry um, was taking place at this time. And so before this kind of change happened or maybe right as it was about to happen, I reached out to Wild Pitch randomly because I heard about, I'm pretty sure it's because I heard about the Ultra Magnetic record and them signing Ultra Magnetic. I read it in the source or whatever about them signing there. And then there was this show in Chicago, uh, JC De La Pena in the Yard, uh, his store had uh, helped sponsor this show with uh, Ultra Magnetic MCs and j Root, and this was like I think January of 94 Because I was connected through Wild Pitch, you know, I helped out with talking to Ultra, see if they need anything. I ended up giving, I, they actually brought Godfather Don for that show, and that's how I met Don. And it was a point in time where they, Keith and Don wanted to go to the liquor store or the, the convenience store or both, and so I gave him a ride. But I had this like great memory of that because I was just, you know, I had a tape in my car. I always had like a tape of the newest music I got that month or that week or whatever. And um, one of the songs, just inadvertently, it wasn't even intentional to play it while they were in the car. It just came on was um, uh, Raw Breed Rampage Out of Control. The song that has like, you know, the unexpected feature of uh, Cool Keith, Godfather Don and Melly Mel. <laughs> so what a combination. Yo, I can go deep in death, raise a shark to your neck, murder serial killer, I'm ill a psycho, I'm like a left, going lost cruise, I'm off my rock. The song came on, and when like Don's part came on, Don was like, who is this? This sounds like me. And he's like, yeah, this dude does sound like you. And I'm thinking that it's being funny. And so I'm just like kind of laughing, you know, chuckling and just like letting, you know, kind of like playing along with them playing around. Come to find out, they weren't playing around. They had no idea what the song was. And when I finally told them, I'm like, are you serious? They're like, yeah, we have no idea what this is. I'm like, this is Raw Breed. You know, Rampage Out of Control featuring U2. <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, one day we were just walking down the street and we passed the studio and, and the Raw Breed dudes were there and they saw us. We're like, yo, come in, check out this beat. And we just went in, kicked the verse left and didn't even think about it that it was even going to be a record or come out walked in kick verses and left and so like <laughs> that was kind of how they first heard uh rampage out of control
anyway so i hit a wild pitch to uh work with ultra so that was like a big thing for me because i was such a huge fan of critical beatdown and the singles before that mentally mad and then the second album also was dope you know so there was like a lot this history of ultra and me being a fan and some of the people that are around me were huge ultra fans like jay bird and k body of underground solution so we you know it was like a, a, an honor to be able to work uh, ultra magnetic record so that was kind of my uh initial um, inspiration to call wild pitch and so Around this time, I started going to New York for my first times around 93, and I got to go to the office and meet the people that worked there. And it was one of the first offices to really like kind of embrace and, you know, let me come through. And, and it was cool because while pitch, while most labels ended up not actually paying me the money they owed me or I me mean, just doing it for free because money wasn't even an option, while pitch didn't pay much, but they were consistent. It was just like, we will send you a hundred dollars a month, no matter what you do. <laughs> and just because I loved the, what the, what they were sending me, I, you know, I, I usually went all out for that hundred dollars. It wasn't about the money, but I did appreciate it as well. So anyway, I went to New York. I got to meet them, uh, meet people like Mark Genova and Stu Fine, and people who were running the label. It so happens that day, Cool Key stopped by. And it was just a cool experience. So it was like I, I had this connection to Wild Pitch that I really enjoyed. And so while I was there doing street promotions for them, you know, I got to work the Broken English record, OC's debut album and, and the singles. The whole Time's Up campaign was great to be a part of. Uh, a couple of singles by Entice, like Hush Hush Tip, the Wild Pitch Classics comp. I still have a one roll of those stickers where they like flip the Wild Style logo. I remember requesting so much of those Wild Pitch stickers. Street Military, the EP that they did on Wild Pitch. Uh, the Super Love of Sea and Casting of a Rudd EP. Uh, the UMC second album. I think I only worked the first single. I don't think they really worked the second album. At least maybe that was just when I stopped working for them. But in tune with this episode, I also worked the first two albums by The Coup. I remember like, you know, them telling me, you know, like they gave me a call and like, hey, we're going to send you this new single for a new artist we just signed, the first single, check it out, let me know what you think and see if you can give it to some radio shows. And they sent it to me on what, you know, what was called a CD5, a CD single. And I remember the image was striking, you know, it was this yellow and black, like a uh, pregnant woman with the gun. And it was just like, this is a very striking image. And I didn't know what to expect. And so I put it in and that even furthered my unexpected expectation or whatever. You know, if you notice all those songs, all those artists I mentioned for the most part, because, well, that's not true because in the first mention of the Wild Pitch, the Gangstar, Lati, Chill Rob G, Lord Finesse, UMCs, Hard Knocks, Main Source, Ultra Magnetics, that was all like just that East Coast boom bap raw hip hop for the most part. You know, uh, UMCs kind of, branched off a little bit and of course main source got a little jazzy but for the main you know for the most part it was just east coast based traditional hip-hop so that's what i was expected from wild pitch some of the other things i mentioned like broken english and street military that came right after around the same time as the coup but i think the coup was the first one of all those that i got and it was a single not yet free and the coup had done an ep before this but I had no idea it was a thing they did just locally in the Bay. I think it was even, they were on a compilation. 
even before that, that same year in 91. But they were both things I never heard of when I was living in uh, Waukegan. So, and, and I don't think many people outside the Bay Area knew about those things at that time. So here I am listening to the Not Yet Free single and just being like, this sounds like nothing I would think would ever be on Wild Pitch. But just like, it's got this musicality to it and it's like, just like sound that's different than anything, but it's still dope. And the MC has this delivery, both MCs, E-Rock and Boots Rally on the first coup record and the you know early singles. But Boots in particular, his writing and his vocal approach really caught my attention. And I was just like, this is not what I would expect, but it definitely is great. And so I was definitely hooked on from that. I have like this very particular memory of that moment. I think I borrowed my dad's portable CD player boombox or whatever. And I'm playing it there in my room. Like I'm just standing there, just like staring at the radio. Like it's helping me hear it better or something. Like, what is this? The coop, the coop. Cause you know, I didn't have the pronunciation correct yet. I'm like the coop, huh? Okay. I was an instant fan. So I got to work everything for that first two records. I worked every single, passed out records to DJs, took CDs and vinyl to radio shows in Chicago, the record stores. If you were an active DJ, at least in the scene that I was a part of in Chicago, if you were an active DJ, uh, record store, did a radio show, or you even went to a hip hop show at this time at like some of the key spots you know i'm thinking this is at lower links maybe it might be a little later than lower links but avalon and different space like that um you know um alcatraz may have still been having things but those kind of spots if you were there you probably got something from the coup from me whether it was a sticker cd flyer a flat you know that was a flat what they call like the posters that were like 12 by 12 posters with the album cover you probably got one of those things from me if you encountered me in any of those ways back in this 93, 94 era. And I, have, and I also got a chance to bring them to Chicago for a promotional run, like take them to some retail stores. I don't remember if we did radio this run. I think they came on a day there really wasn't much radio options, but we did retail stores so they could do autographs and you know in-store yeah, autographs, whatever, signing. Also, they did a show in Calumet City that was through um, the radio station out there. I can't remember if it was still 9.50 a.m. or if it was um, 106 Jams yet. It might have already been changed to 106 Jams. 106 Jams, what's up? What's up the show was dope. They killed it. It was Boots, E-Rock, Pam. I got to see Pam on the turntables and she just killed it. That was a really dope experience to be able to take the coup around for their first time in Chicago and what has to be their first tour they ever did as a group, probably outside the Bay Area. And so 
it was just like that was how I connected with the coup and then from there you know like just kind of getting into the records how much I was a fan I mean I was really blown away by that debut album from everything about it just like the way they approached the music the way in, in the liner notes to the album I can't remember the exact wording but you know Boots says if you want to sample from this record go ahead sample whatever you want from this record this open beats or sounds you want to use just give me credit and I love that because like you know at the time I was making beats but I didn't you know I didn't have a huge record collection yet my dad hadn't given me all his records yet I had my own job I had my own money but I was trying to keep up with all the rap releases so like I wasn't really digging for old records yet I was just trying to pay for studio time and buy equipment and buy a rap records. So, you know, a lot of times I was sampling my drum breaks and things off rap records. And I actually made a beat from sampling from that crew record. I'm like, thank you for the permission. I'm not going to squander that opportunity that you gave. So, like, I, I definitely did that with one of the beats, you know, I did in, like, 94, album title kill my landlord like was this like striking like why why I had dealt with a landlord at that point but I hadn't had a particular experience to really understand that you know that experience that he was talking about the whole the capitalism and the problem with those things and he was just going deeper than I had really thought about things even though there had been so much you know so-called message rap or conscious rap had been around forever you know at that point over a decade 15 years at that point at least but still Boots was really bringing some perspectives and things that I don't think anyone had really discussed and he was not just throwing out ideas and moving on to the next he was writing songs that got into the deep complexities of the issues or he was writing stories that never even said what the issues were but describe them in the most greatest detail. He was just like excelling in the writing in so many ways. And that first album was songs like Not Yet Free or Dig It and Last Blunt, Effa Perm, and the title track Kill My Landlord. But also E-Rock played an important part in the way that he was doing the same thing, great writer, and like and he had this kind of expectation because he had that he was that E Rock had that real like Bay Area Oakland sound to him that you heard from like the, the Spice like a Spice One or something like that. But here he is with these political verses. So it was just like really refreshing to the ear to hear what they were doing. And I remember like like even like to this day that title was like a reference even to like my mom there's like you know for years she'd be like you know use that phrase as a reference kill my like you can't go around the one you know wearing a shirt like kill my landlord like if i'm like going to a job interview like she would jokingly make that joke about the kill my landlord t-shirt i would wear so like you know i really recognize the power the coup had even the people who didn't necessarily listen to the music 
And then like in the second album when he came out with Genocide and Juice, he just really continued to push his uh, writing ability. But like Fat Cats and Bigger Fish was I think is one of the greatest stories ever written in hip hop. Songs like Taking These and the Santa Rita Weekend when he brings in E-40 and Spice One. Uh, E-Rock solo, Hard Concrete, Hip to the Scheme. This another really, really great album on Wild Pitch. Beyond that, when he went on to do albums for different record labels and just his whole career up until his most recent stuff, Sorry to Bother You, the album and the soundtrack, just super creative and always pushing the, the limits. I, I love how he evolved as a musician and producer and also evolved how to be a vocalist and always on point with his writing. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of every album by The Coop. Me and Jesus the Pimp, that also is one of the greatest stories songs ever written in hip hop. If not the greatest, it's like that song is insane in the way that he scripts that out. And I learned, you know, later from interviewing him that he had, um, you know, went to college for filmmaking. And that's, you know, he told me he approached writing songs in the way that he learned to writing a script. And then also that, and that still this album, album, he uh, learned to bring more of his personality in with a sense of humor with cars and shoes and sneaking in about the movie theaters. I mean, he was using comedy before that, definitely, but he just brought it, I think, in a different way on this record and more blatantly in your face with these short songs that kind of got to the point about those things. So, like, he is always someone that I really admired as an artist overall and as a writer in particular. And I remember, like, I've had a couple of times over the years to connect with the Boots and, you know, in different ways. I remember, like, there was this hip-hop conference in Madison, Wisconsin called um, Hip Hop is a Movement. It was, like, 2000 through 2003. I think it was four years in a row. At least I, I think I went four years. And he was there at least one. I think he was there two years, the second and third year, I think he was there. And it got to kick with him out there in Madison. And then when he signed later on, 75 arc for the party music record you know i was already connected with dan the automator which is a whole nother story for another episode for sure uh the whole dan the automator story but like i was connected with dan so he was sending me 75 arc stuff you know that's how i got into like anti-pop consortium and other groups ever. like that label Encore was on 75 Arc that, uh, that label was so dope to me and the coup being on there was a great thing as well and so I got the help also not officially do promotions but I remember I'm just like Dan send me whatever you got and I'll try to spread the word in Chicago about 75 Arc so I was just helping out on the strength and I remember like through that I think it was through that promotions he did this, a tour at the House of Blues in Chicago with uh, I believe the Executioners and I got to hang out with him at that show as well. So I like it's like point being that from almost all of his albums, except for still this album, I was involved in some way in helping promote what he was doing. And around the time I did that record for 75 Arc, I did an interview with him. I did a radio show on my um, Time Travel Radio on WNUR. I did like a history of the coup to kind of show his um, progression as an artist. And so I interviewed him 
And I, I use parts of that interview on the radio show, but I've never released a full interview. And it's one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. He just, the way he explains things is just so amazing. And just, he just really, just like, you would think that I sent him these, these questions in advance and he was prepared for these questions, but I didn't. He just was really able to speak to these things in a way that uh, was really impressive. And that's from anything like his unique idea about the origins of hip-hop or how he became involved in organizing through learning about the power of hip-hop and like talks about how transportation affected hip-hop in the various scenes and how he became a producer and how a failed attempt at mimicking another artist he was a fan of led to his style and you know the funny story of how he once avoided a copyright law uh, sampling lawsuit, and we also go deep into the science of storytelling. It's just one of those interviews that I'm really proud of, but I never have put out until now. 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 This is the Time Travel Show on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. But on um, tonight's show, we're going to jump into it right about now is The Coup, the history of The Coup, Boots Riley, been, man, such a great lyricist. You got a, a quote on the first album about um, the sounds on the record, and if you're going to sample from them, you know, go ahead and sample from it. Yeah. What made you want to do that, that quote? What made you put that there? Uh, because, you know, if you listen to all these things uh, from the 60s, 70s, whatever, they're sampling from each other, you know. Yeah. They're taking this. Group. I got this greatest hits of Charles Wright. If you get that greatest hits album, you will hear nothing but the Rolling Stones. Took their a lot of their songs four or five months later, and 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 made tremendous hits out of them. And Charles Wright is now playing at little bars to fifteen people. To fifteen people. <laughs> Part of the promotions for this um, episode coming out, I'm putting the full interview out in text form, so you can, you know, uh, if you follow me on social media, Kevin Beecham 21 on Twitter and so forth, you can find uh, a link to that full interview. But you know, even like beyond that 75 arc record, you know, when he did the Pick a Bigger Weapon record for Epitaph, Epitaph is a label that had also put out a few, or had licensed a few records from Rhyme Sayers. Idea and Ability, second record. Here. Yeah. Here. And the Atmosphere Sevens Travels record were licensed through Epitaph. They love the taste of blood. And I don't know what that means, but I know that I mean it. And so when they also did the record with the coup, they did the CD, but they didn't know if they had the right market for the vinyl. I don't know the exact specifics, but however it worked out, Rhyme Sayers actually released that 
album on vinyl. I'm a walking contradiction like bullets in love makes sense. Let my words with perfect diction. I'm guilty of my convictions. So if you look at the coup record, pick a bigger weapon, the vinyl. Well now. <laughs> what have we here? It's gonna say Rhyme Sales Entertainment. At that time, I was working in the distribution side of Rhyme Sayers, so I also worked that record for the coup. So literally up until that point. I worked on every record except for the Steal This Album record. You know, it's one of those things that um, being a great fan of the coup, E-Rock, Boots Rally, and Pam the Funkstress, and being able to, to any small part that I got to play and helping spread their music to people it was a big deal to me. It's something I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to be a part of. I just feel like Boots is one of the great hip-hop artists that we don't talk about enough. I think he's one of the great writers in hip-hop and storytellers that doesn't get mentioned enough. And the crew being one of those great groups that doesn't come up enough. Even though I know people who do know really know. So I, I think people recognize, and, I, and I'm, I'm glad to see him flourish with other things. You know, his movie, Sorry to Bother You. Hey, hello. Um, Mr. Davidson, Cash is Green here. Sorry to bother Let me give you a tip. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. I have to assume someone with his just creative drive has more things to come. The last time I saw Boots, Actually, it was at South by Southwest the year that he released. I had a screening for Sorry to Bother You. Got to kick with him out there. So what up, Booch Rally? Much love and respect to what you do. Also got to give a special rest in peace to Pam the Funkstress. Great vibes. Ill DJ. Last time I saw Pam was, man, a long time ago. She came out to Minneapolis to the the hip-hop event b-girl b and she came out there and i was cool to to kick it with her out there you know that one time so uh much love to the coup and um boots rally e-rock pam the funkstress pam the funkstress
Now you're so tired Just catch me up and make